Hi, this is David Sachs, and welcome to Spiritual Tools for an Outrageous World. Every week we do a little couples therapy between us and God. It's a chance to deepen and explore our most important relationship. Okay, I'm glad you're here. There's so much I want to discuss. Purim is coming up, and Purim is just absolutely the deepest, holiest, amazing holiday. My friend Michael Borkow said something that really resonated with me. He weaved a whole narrative of all the holidays and how it tells a story. But when he got up to Hanukkah, which is kind of like getting to the darkest moments, you know, sometimes you say to someone, I'll leave the porch lights on, right? I'll leave a light on for you. And Hanukkah is like, we're entering into this very, very long exile and God leaves a light on for us, right? But the question is, what happens after that light goes out? Because then after Hanukkah, the light goes out. And then you're in total darkness, and that's Purim. And the greatness of Purim is finding God amidst the total darkness. And the theme of Purim that the sages really kind of hammer home is this idea that everything flips over. Everything goes from bad to good. Not just from bad to good, from horrible to fantastic. And it really tells us that in our own lives that that flip can happen in, in the blink of an eye, we say salvation, keheref ayin. It can happen in the, in the blink of an eye. And in fact, it says in Gomorrah Sanhedrin that Mashiach will come when we don't have das. And when we're not making predictions, when Mashiach will come. Can you imagine? In other words, it's just, it's just going to happen. It's just going to arrive. And one of the reasons why that's the case is because Mashiach, this idea of the culmination of reality or the perfection of reality was built in from the very first moments of the creation of the universe. This is something that people don't really understand. They sort of like look around, they see this intractable level of evil that's embedded in the world, and they wonder, how can this ever be uprooted? How can anything ever change? And the truth is, is that the change and the perfection was built in from the very start, before the very start. So it's part of actually the natural process. That's the amazing thing, even though it's miraculous. Remember, let's, let's think about the first letter of the Torah for a moment. The first letter of the Torah is the letter Bez. Now, the Zohar says that the Torah itself is a blueprint of reality. God looked into the Torah and he created the world. So the letter Bez, which is the number two, is our introduction to reality. So what does the number two stand for? Well, good and evil, right? Heaven and earth, our positive inclination and our negative inclination, male and female, the written Torah and the oral Torah, the hidden and the revealed. Or how about this, even deeper, free choice. Because what's free choice? How is that symbolized by the letter B, which is the number two? Because free choice tells me I can go in this direction or I can go in that direction. And so everything revolves around all these things. And you'd be amazed how, how much ground we just covered a second ago. <laughs> that really kind of like sums, kind of sums it up. Well, it's, it's that and way, 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 way more is in the very first letter of the Olive Base. Now, we're still talking about Purim. Because what we learn from Purim is that even when it seems like God is most hidden, most, most hidden, he's absolutely there. And one of the things that 
is so important for us to realize is that concealment is not abandonment. This is really one of the messages that I'm really trying to get out as much as I can during my lifetime. Concealment is not abandonment. See, one of the things that you have to know is that God is as present in this dimension, this realm that we live in, as he is in the highest heavens. Do you understand that? That's, that's, that's a, this is a breakthrough thought for most people. God is as present in this dimension as he is in the highest heavens. He's just concealed. And concealment is not abandonment. Okay? This is, this is one of the big lessons. All right, I want to get into black fire, and I want to get into white fire, and I want to get into the letter Bayes. I want to get into all of these ideas, okay? But let's, let's talk about Amalek first. Because Amalek is basically the chief enemy, enemy number one of the Jewish people. Amalek is at war with the Jewish people, is at war with God. And one of the most telling, you know, Rabbi, Rabbi Green used to talk about loso pieces. In the world of music, there's certain pieces that performers, when they want to really make a reputation for themselves, they will play one of these virtuoso pieces. So there's certain pieces of Torah, certain questions of Torah that everyone comments on. And these are like, so to speak, virtuoso pieces. And one of these pieces is talking about how Amalek works in this world. And it talks about the throne of God, the Kisei Hashem. But the way it's spelled in the Torah is there's certain letters that are missing. And in the name of God, the last two letters are missing. So normally speaking, you would, you would spell God's highest, holiest name, Yud, then Hey, then Vav, then Hey. That's, you know, if we want to be fancy, that's the Tetragrammaton, right? It's a four-letter name of God, the Shem Havaya. But the last two letters are missing. So what does that mean? Amalek makes God seem like he's disappeared from this world. See, if you look at the letters of God's name, there's so much going on. But one of the things that's going on is it's a little bit of a map of the universe. And you have to picture the yud Vavke starting from the top and going down, like a ladder. So Yud, the first letter of God's name, represents the highest, holiest aspects of him. And then you've got Hey, Reb Kakon says that represents Olam Haba, the next world. Then you've got Vav, that's pulling down all of that energy into the bottom Hey, which is the bottom, that's the realm that we live in, symbolized by the last letter Hey of God's name. So interestingly, when a Malik attacks, the way the Torah expresses this is that letter Vav, which pulls down the energy, and that letter Hey, which stands for this world, are mysteriously missing. Now, let me give you a slightly more sophisticated way to understand this. It's not that it's missing, because what did we just say a moment ago? God is as present here as he is in the highest realms. So, but you know what it is? It's covered over. It's covered over. Evil covers over the presence of God. When evil exists, you go, is there a God? I don't know. Maybe there's no God. That's evil's job. Okay? covers over those last two letters of God's name, the Vav and the He. Now, you ready for the virtuoso piece? 
That was just, everyone get in your seats, right? Everyone's, okay, now the light's dim. Now we go to the Jikover Rebbe, also known as the Imre Noam. The Jikover Rebbe is from Ropschitz. And, you know, I, I can't mention Ropschitz without telling you my, one of my favorite things I've ever heard in my life, okay, from the Ropschitz Rebbe. The Ropschitz Rebbe was basically the right-hand man of the Chos of Lublin, the seer of Lublin, okay? One of the greatest of the Hasidic masters, as was the Ropschitzer. And the Ropschitzer was known also, besides for his holy genius, for his incredible wit, okay? Now it says in the Talmud that before you begin a Torah class, you should begin with a joke. Why? Because a joke kind of like loosens up people, it kind of, you know, the way I, I, I write comedy for a living, I can tell you the basic building blocks of a joke is you think something is going one way and it surprises you and it goes instantly in a different direction. And that dissonance creates laughter, right? Like the mind just explodes with laughter over the contradiction that you just like embedded in its frontal cortex or something. I don't know. I just made a frontal cortex there to sound smart, but whatever it is. <laughs> and, and you get laughter, okay? So... So, so it loosens you up. Humor expands your consciousness, right? It sort of like explodes some inhibitions, and now you can kind of think more expansively. All right, now with that in mind, listen to this. It's, it's, it's almost terrifying and hilarious at the same time. The Ropeschitzer says, if you're supposed to start with a joke before you teach Torah, what joke did God tell the Jewish people before he gave us the Torah at Mount Sinai? I mean, it's almost a shocking question. <laughs> it's almost a shocking question. And the answer is almost equally shocking. You know what joke he told us? You know what he did? He held the mountain over our heads and told us he was going to kill us <laughs> if we didn't accept the Torah. Now, I don't know what to say to that, right? I guess the implication is, but this is just me talking now, was that he wasn't going to wipe us out. I guess that's the implication. But it's, it's astounding. Just the question itself is astounding. The answer is astounding. Okay, that's the Ropeschitzer. So, you know, holy people in Judaism have holy children or holy grandchildren, right? So, so the Jikover comes from this line. And Reb Shlomo described the Jikover Rebbe by the way, if you want to look him up on the internet, I, I could never find him because I was always spelling it with a J. But in Polish, it's D-Z. J. J. That's how, you, that's how you pronounce the J sound. So if you look up D-Z and then you spell Jikov, you'll, you'll find him. Okay. Anyway, Reb Shlomo described him as a supercomputer before there were computers. All right? So now this is how the Jikover explains what it means that a malik gets rid of the vav and the hay, right? Or the revelation of godliness, which is already here, but the revelation of godliness in this world. How does he conceal it? How does a malik conceal it? All right, now listen to this. This name of God, the yud vav really is sort of like a combination, our sages teach us, of three words. Haya, hove, and yie, which means in Hebrew, was, is, and will be. In other words, it's an expression of eternity. 
God's holiest name is an expression of eternity or infinity, right? Remember, God is beyond time. God, God, time is one of God's many creations, like squirrels and lemonade. God just made time. And God just made logic, by the way. Logic, God is not constrained by logic. Log- we're constrained by logic. One of, the, one of the hilarious things and heartbreaking things, I find, is that God creates our brains, which are capable of magnificent, magnificent triumphs, but are finite compared to God's infinity. And we use our finite brain to tell God what he can and can't do. Right? That's absurd. Do you understand? That's absurd. Because we are, we have an operating platform in our brains, a software platform in our brains called logic. But you know what? God invented logic. And God is not constrained by logic. Okay. So the holiest name of God is, was, is, and will be. Future tense. All together in one. Right? It's eternity, but it's also beyond eternity. I'm, I'm making a fine distinction here, but it's one that Rav Yitzhak Isaac Haver makes, and let me just explain to you what I just said. Most people think that eternity is foreverness, right? It's the endless expanse of time. But there's something higher than that, which is the dimension above time itself. In other words, Something can go on forever and ever and ever and ever, and that seems extremely lofty, right? But it's still constrained within the dimension of time. Then you have a dimension above time. And when we use the word in Hebrew, netzach, which means eternity or victory, that's talking about the dimension above time, okay? So, so while this holiest name of God was, is, and will be, has an eternal aspect to it. Remember, God is above eternity even, because eternity is an expression of time, and God is above time. Okay, now let's get to the jikover. How many letters are left in the Torah of God's name if the last two letters, the vav and the he, which are, you know, being concealed in this dimension, what's left? The yud and the he. Now listen to what the jikover says. Just, this is genius, holy genius. Ready? You can spell the word was, haya, with just the letters that are in the Torah of God's name that are left over, the yud and the he. You can spell the word was with just the letters yud and he, haya. You can also spell the word will be, yiyeh. That's just spelled with the letters yud and he. But without the letter Vav, which a Malach takes away, do you know what you can't spell? Hove, which means right now. Because a Malach tells you, you know what, maybe God created the world back in the day. Maybe one day he'll show up again. But right now, you're all alone. Right now, he's abandoned you. Right now, for all intents and purposes, he does not exist. That's the message that Amalek sends each one of us. And the Slonim Rebbe emphasizes this thought in the most amazing way. 
because Amalek attacked us in the desert. He just like for no reason. We 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 there was there was no beef, as they say, between us and Amalek, and yet just attacked us and attacked our weakest members of the Jewish people. When the Torah describes how Amalek attacked, it uses a very, very interesting bit of language. It says, Amalek attacked you. Well, if it's talking about the nation of Israel, you should be in the plural. Attacked you, you people, a couple million people, however many members we were at that moment. But you know what? The Torah uses the word lecha. Amalek attacked you, which is the individual, the singular. And the Slonimer Rebbe says, do you know why the Torah explains itself that way? To tell you how Amalek operates. To tell you, as an individual, singular person, you are all alone. And once you think that you're all alone and that God's not with you, then a person is capable of falling to the lowest, lowest depths. So Purim is coming to tell us that even in the darkest depths, even when we feel like we're alone, we're not alone. That we're never alone. And that everything can flip over in a second. In the blink of an eye, everything can flip over. And that reality itself has been programmed to do that from the very, very start. So now let's get back to the very, very start. Let's go back to the Bays of Rashis, the first letter of the Torah. Now, just as a way of introducing it, I'll tell you again one of my favorite, favorite all-time thoughts, and you'll see how this is going to connect to understand that the Torah is black fire written on white fire. Okay? So I once imagined a conversation between two fish, (laughs) and one fish says to the other, do you believe in water? And the other fish says, you know, I don't know if I believe in water. My grandfather was very holy. He believed in water. <laughs> right? So that's the end of the story. <laughs> so, so what's the joke? The joke is that there's nothing but water. Water is the only thing that exists, right? But you've got these very intellectual, philosophical fish like wondering, well, you know, do you think that, I don't know, maybe, maybe not, you know? So we have this idea. By the way, if you didn't get it, we're the fish. (laughs) God is absolutely all around us, right? So so we have this concept called hiding in plain sight. Like, can you see air? But you know that we're engulfed in air. So, So I was having lunch with a friend of mine, and I asked him where he parked his car, and he said across the street. And I said, do you realize... You can't get to your car without swimming through godliness. So, so that's what it is. Okay, so now with that as an introduction, the Ramban, in his introduction to the Torah, says that the Torah is black fire on white fire. So that's interesting, because if you think of like a Torah scroll, normally speaking, we think of it in a little more meat and potatoes kind of way. We say, well, it's an ink on parchment. All right, so now we have to think a little bit more expansively. No, no, no. It's black fire on white fire. So one of the things that tells us is that the white is not just a background, that the white of the Torah 
has dimensionality of itself, that the white of the Torah represents all of the spiritual realms which we can't see. And the black represents those aspects of reality which are revealed. So you have two things going on. You have that which the eye can see, and then you have that which is there, but the eye can't see it. See, this is a very big turning point in, in the history of, 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 of science, basically. Because, you know, Louis Pasteur, who, who saved countless lives by saying, hey, you know something? There are these microbes in milk that will kill you. But if you boil the milk, then it kills the microbes, and then you'll live. And that process that Louis Pasteur came up with is called pasteurization. Is it pasteurized? Right? That's named after him. Now his, the little French townspeople, the villagers, said, ha, you mean there's something in that milk I can't see? Good one. Good one, Louis. You know? You're reading too many books. Right? So, but now we, 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 we understand that. Of course it's the case. I mean, just think of like the Hubble telescope right now. Like what we're, what is just sitting in front of our faces all this time, but we haven't been able to see it. Okay? Now that's just in this dimension. What about other dimensions? Now mathematics and physics are telling us that there are dimensions that we can't see that are there. And these are scientists who are talking right now. The idea that there are dimensions that are there that we can't see, up until very recently, that was, a, that was the, the province of, of, of religion, of belief. Now it's been owned by science. Science has crashed the party, right? It's like, wait, no, 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 this is just us believers. Oh, okay, now you can come in. Okay. In other words, what science is doing right now is giving us the math that we've been saying all along. You understand? Okay. So, let's go back to the first letter of the Torah. So there's an amazing, amazing Rashi. And this Rashi says, it's the first Rashi in the Torah. It says the word breishis is actually a compound word, bereishis. For the sake of the Rashis, the firstborn, who's God's firstborn as a nation? That's the Jewish people. For the sake of the firstborn, the world was created. Okay? Now remember, what we're talking about is the Jewish people being a light unto the nations. So it's not that the world is only for us. It's a very parochial way of understanding this. We have to be a, a model. God has said, okay, I have a certain will, and I want you to be the emissaries of that will, right? So when we say that the world was created for Israel, it doesn't mean only, only Jews allowed. God forbid. That's, that's not it at all. And I'll, there's a million proofs that that's, that that's not what it means. Judaism is an extremely universal, expansive ideology because we're talking about reality itself. I'll give you a couple of very strong examples. Number one, 
there's seven universal mitzvahs, which means every single person on earth has a share in the Torah. And we say the whole world was made out of the Torah. So of course everyone has a share in the Torah and a share in this world by extension. Not only that, but Rashi says that the, the phrase or the, the verse, Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad, which is the foundation of our belief, that's a verse in the Torah. Rashi says, like, did you ever wonder what's the Rashi on that? <laughs> like, we're so used to thinking of it as a prayer as opposed to as a verse in the Torah. Well, every verse in the... Uh, uh, Rashi's got a very strong comment on that. He says, Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad is a timeline taking us to the end of days. You ready for this? Shema Yisrael, hear Israel, Hashem is our God, Hashem Elokeinu, but in the future, Hashem Echad means one, God will be recognized as the one God by all the nations of the world. So it's embedded, the universality of Judaism is embedded right in the Shema itself. So the Beis of Rishis. So, so the Zohar says that the entire Torah is contained in the word Breshis, the first word of the Torah. The word Breshis is contained within the first letter of the Torah. And the first letter of the Torah is contained within the dot of Breshis in the middle of the Torah, in the middle of the, le- of the first letter. So the entire Torah is like contained within that dot. Now, where do you see that God created the, the world for the Jewish people in the first letter of the Torah? Because Rav Yitzhak Isaac Chaver in the Pischei Sharm says that dot in the letter Bez is the letter Yud. Right? Yud stands for like divine wisdom. And the letter Bez, do you hear the similarity between the word Bez and Bayit? Bez and Bias? Bayes and bias. So in other words, the first letter Bayes is saying that this world is a house which houses what? The Yud. <laughs> the presence of God. The Yud of the Yud of Kevavke. Now listen to this. This is all just set up for the actual thought. <laughs> now we can get rocking again. You want to hear something crazy? Well, let me just finish that thought. Yud is the number 10. Bez is the number 2. That adds up to 12. There you have in the letter Bez the 12 tribes of Israel. All contained within the first letter of the Torah. But I'll tell you something wild now. In the actual Torah scroll itself, that dot within the Bez is not there. Do you know what that means? That God in this world is concealed. But what's concealed? The Yud of the Yud Kevavke the highest, holiest aspect of God. What did I tell you to begin with? That God is as present in this dimension as he is in the highest realms. That Yud is here, right in the base, which stands for this world. But you can't see it. It's part of the white fire. God is totally present, totally present, and concealed at the same time. And there is no contradiction. So now, let's get to Atbash. Because I told you, Purim is all about how God is there, right? But he's concealed. But then we realize that he's there even in the concealment. 
Now, Atbash is something that we've explained over the years, but just to give you a, a quick introduction, it's a, it's a system of understanding the Torah that's in the Gomorrah, the sages of the Gomorrah talking about this 2,000 years ago. And it's a way of understanding hidden depths in the Torah. And so what you do is you juxtapose two things. You take the first letter of the Torah and you juxtapose it with the last, or the first letter of the olive base, and you juxtapose it with the last letter of the olive base. So where you see an olive, you can substitute it or exchange it with the letter Taf, the last letter. Or if you see the letter Taf, you can juxtapose it or exchange it with the letter Aleph. Same thing with the second to last letter, right? The letter Shin, you can make that the second letter. So Atbash. So hopefully, hopefully you're familiar with this by now. If you're not, you can look at it in Gomorrah Shabbos, and it's on page Kuf Dalit. And I was driving one time, and I was thinking about this, and I realized Kuf Dalit is an Atbash. <laughs> so the, the system explaining Atbash in the Gomorrah is on a page which is an Atbash. I almost crashed my car when I realized that. I was like, whoa! <laughs> you know, Rabbi Green said that the sages like were rolling on the floor when they were writing down many of these things in the Gomorrah, saying, oh, I can't wait till that guy driving on Pico 2,000 years from now is going to realize this. You know, they were laughing. They were laughing. Can you imagine telling a joke and realizing someone is going to laugh at your joke 2,000 years later? <laughs> you have a lot of patience. <laughs> a lot of patience. But God has unlimited patience. Okay. Now, what if I were to tell you? Well, I got to introduce it. I got to introduce it first. It's, it's too good just to, you know, you don't just put your face in the steak, right? You got to have a little salad, <laughs> and a vegetable or two, a sip of wine, then you can get to the steak. So let me just introduce it this way. There's a story in the Gomorrah. Rabbi Akiva's daughter, it's her wedding day. Okay, it's a big day. So that night, she's going to sleep. She takes out a hairpin, and she sticks it in the wall behind her. Right? I guess that's how they did things in that, in that day. And in the morning, she saw that she had pierced, I don't know whether it was a snake or a poison scorpion. She had killed it. And had she not done that, she would have died that night. She would have been killed. When she told her father, Rabbi Akiva, remember, Moshe, Moshe Rabbeinu says to God, why didn't you give the Torah to Rabbi Akiva? Right? So if we want to know the greatness of Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva says, I know why this happened. Because during your wedding feast, right, at the height of all of the celebration and everything like that, you saw a poor person in attendance and you made a plate of food for him and you brought it over to him. And tzedakah, charity, saves from death. Tzedakah saves from death. Um, this is very much in the Atbash realm and very much in the Purim realm because what are we talking about? Everything flipping over from bad to good. You give tzedakah, 
You flip everything over from bad to good. Now let's look at the letters at tzedakah. You can consult your chart. Tzedakah is spelled tzadi, dalid, kuf, hey. Well, if you look up tzadi, the atbash of tzadi is the letter hey. That's the first letter and the last letter of tzedakah. If you look up the letter kuf, and you... And you, and you see the Yatvash for that, it's the letter Dalit. In other words, the word Sadaka is made entirely out of Atvashes. <laughs> it's, one, it's one big Atvash. Because when you give Sadaka, you flip everything over from death to life. Okay. Now we're ready for Purim. How do we spell Purim? Remember, Purim is everything flipping over from bad to good. Or from horrible to amazing. Okay? Let's spell Purim. Purim is Pei Mem. Well, what's the Atbash of Pei? It's Vav. That's that, wow. That's the first two letters of Purim. From Pei to Vav. Let's look at the last two letters. Yud and Mem. What's the Atbash of Yud? Oh, it's Mem. <laughs> now, because it's an, an odd number of letters, we have to do something with the Resh now. But we see that the word Purim is completely made out of Atbashas. Purim, which is the holiday of everything flipping over, is made out of the DNA of everything flipping over. But what about the Resh? Now, Resh is the number 200. And I was thinking about this over a period of years, but it came to me. Resh is the number 200. Now, what word? Now, okay, take a step back. The Gomorrah, on that same page, Kuf Dalid in Masech Shabbos, goes through each letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and the sages tell you what that letter stands for, what meaning it has. What letter do the sages say the letter Resh has? Resh stands for Rasha, which means a wicked person. Well, we've got the word Purim here. Who's the Rasha? Haman. It's clear. He said that we were a people that were completely spread out. That's a nice way of saying that we hated each other for no reason. Okay? So what is the fixing? If you think about the laws of Purim, what are they all designed to do? To bring us together in love. One of the most meaningful things in the Torah for me is, is this moment, you know, we don't just leave Egypt and get the Torah at Mount Sinai. There's this precondition that a lot of people don't make it part of their normal explanations of receiving the Torah, but I, I really believe that this is a very critical piece in the narrative and that everyone should say this, right? Whenever we're talking about receiving the Torah, which is that we left Egypt, all that's true, and the sea split, all that's true, and we got to Mount Sinai, but here's the piece people leave out we were like one person with one heart. And then we got the Torah. That's the part people leave out. But it's right there in the Torah. Mm -hmm. And the idea is that when we become like one person with one heart, we make a vessel to hold the light of the Torah. When we're not unified, we're not this functional vessel. That's why 
togetherness among Jewish people, having a good eye for another person, is it's of critical importance. It doesn't, it's not just it makes you a nice person. It's of critical importance in terms of the repair and perfection of the universe. Every once in a while, I have the privilege of marrying a couple. And one of the things that I, I, I try to tell them is that from now on, I means we. Right? There's like a new I now. I is we. And I think we have to really try to carve that in terms of our consciousness, in terms of, because we're one family with each of us. And a victory for someone else is your victory. Right? So you, like Reb Shlomo says, that someone who can't have joy for another person's joy doesn't know the definition of joy. Right? Their joy is not coming out of your pocket. You have to have happiness at another person's happiness. Their victory on a very deep level is your victory because you're one soul. We're one soul. And, and that's very, very important because we have to break down all these barriers that are around our heart. And until we do that, we're going to be stuck. We're going to be stuck. We're just going to be treading water. We, we, can't, we can't afford to be treading water anymore. We have to make progress. And it, it starts with us, and it starts with how we look at each other. You know, one of the mitzvahs of Purim is to really, to get drunk, let's face it, let's just say it like it is, right? But it's, it's a holy drunk, right? You want to get above the, the level of the tree of knowledge. You want to get to this place to adaloyada, a place of not knowing, right? But it's a holy not knowing, where you know that you don't know, right? It's a very expansive place. And you have to do it responsibly. But you know something? You don't have to drink to fulfill that mitzvah. And by the way, if you do drink, a couple of important things to know. One, the drinking doesn't start Purim night. The drinking is at the Suda. It's during the day. Okay? So there's no real mitzvah to get drunk at night at all. At least when we're talking about classically speaking, okay? If it enhances your joy, you want to take a shot, that's one thing, but that's not this mitzvah that we're talking about. The next thing is you do it on wine because the miracle was done over wine at the wine feast, right? Not just to chug whiskey or tequila or something like that. It's on wine because that's what the miracle was done over. So Rabbi Nachman of Breslov says something incredible. He says, you can fulfill the mitzvah of getting drunk on Purim without drinking one drop of wine. Do you know how you do it? Through loving your fellow Jew. The love that you have for your fellow Jew can be so transcendent that you go beyond, 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 just like when you drink. Just like drinking sort of blinds you to what's tangible in front of you, love can do the same thing. And you can do it with your love for your fellow Jew. You don't have to drink one drop of wine at all. Number two. But let's get to this idea of Haman saying that we were spread out and the mitzvahs of Purim. You have to give tzedakah on Purim. We said tzedakah is, is a flipping over, is an atbash, right? It brings people together. You have meals together. There's a suda where we all come together. You give gifts to other people. 
right, that they can eat, that shalach munas, it's all designed to correct this accusation of Haman that we were spread out and that we hated each other. <coughs> Purim is showing that we're all together in the deepest, holiest, most beautiful way. So now let's go back to the Rish of Purim. I showed you that the way we spell Purim is Pei Vav. That's an Atbash. It ends with Yud Mem. That's an Atbash. Now we've got the Rish that the sages say stands for Russia. And who's the Russia in the story of Purim? That's Haman who says that we're all spread out. Now, guess what? Resh is the number 200. Do you know what else? If you take this word and you do the atbash of this word, what it adds up to? 200. What's the word? Yachad. <laughs> Yachad means all together. Right? We came all together, and that is the flipping over of Haman's accusation. He says that we're spread out, we flip over, and we're yachad, right? I'll just do the math for you, just in case you, you want to just nail it down in your head. Yachad is spelled yud ches dalet, and we're going to show you how in atbash that adds up to 200, which is the letter resh. So yud, the atbash of yud is mem, mem is 40. Then you've got ches, the atbash of ches is samech, so 40 and 60 is 100. And then we've got the Dalit of Yachad, right? Dalit is Kuf, which is 100. So 160 and 40 adds up to 200, which is the letter Resh. By coming together, we undo Haman's accusations. Haman is the Resh of Purim. Every day is Purim. Every day is Purim. Purim, I think, is the most in many ways, the most significant holiday. And we say that after Mashiach comes and not all the holidays are going to be with us, Purim is still going to be with us. And I think on one level, it's because Purim is our ultimate triumph. That in a time of absolute total darkness, we knew God was still there. And we never let go of God. And God for sure never let go of us. And so, even after Mashiach comes, we'll never stop celebrating it. That level of closeness. Remember, a Malik wants to tell you that you're alone. That's how he attacks you. You're never alone. You can't spell, you can spell was and will be, but you can't spell hove right now without the letter vav. Remember, Amalek attacks out or covers over the last two letters of God's name. Tells you God's not here right now in your life right now. It's a lie. God's 100% here right now. Right? Like that yud within the letter base. But in the Torah scroll, you don't see that dot. Because <laughs> it's the white fire. And just like the fish in water, we dwell amidst the white fire. It says every Jew is a letter in the Torah. You know what that means? You're the black fire and God's the white fire, right? And we're subsumed within his oneness. We're an extension of his oneness because our souls are a piece of God. So that's the white fire that your black fire is written on. 
You're not independent from God. Your, your being is the black fire, but it's written on the white fire of your soul, which is a piece of God. Because all there is is God. Thanks for listening. We do this every week, so join in again next Sunday for a new podcast where we explore the amazingness of life. And review us and send in any comments or suggestions. I'd love to hear them.